Uh, we're continuing a teaching series on the parables of Jesus. It's so good to study the words of Jesus, isn't it? Whenever you read the words of Jesus in the Bible, you're about to have a life-changing experience. I believe that with all my heart. So we're going to be studying tonight a parable that I really enjoy. It's very interesting, I think. It's called the Parable of the Vineyard Workers. The Parable of the Vineyard Workers. It makes me think back to a time when I was working as a, a very young man. I was about 13 years old at the time, and there was this guy in my church. A guy in my church, I uh, was growing up, and this dude, his name was, I'm going to call him Antonio. His name has been changed to protect his non-innocence, okay? <laughs> And he hired me and a friend of mine to come and work for him. Um, he hired us to come and cut his grass. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, in rural Kansas. And so in that area of the country, there's these things like uh, it's a yard and it has grass and you have to cut it on a regular basis. Um, there they put grass in their yards. In Arizona, we put rocks in our yards. But you have to cut this grass. So he hired us to cut his grass. And, and you know, it was me, a, a friend of mine. We were both about 13 years old. And he brought us out to his, his home. And there were three or four acres of grass that we were going to cut with push lawnmowers. Okay, so this is a big job. If you've ever cut grass, you know where I'm going. It took seven to eight hours to cut this guy's grass. But I was all, I was all up for this. Like, I, I'm thinking, man, when you're 13, you don't have a lot of opportunities to make money. And so I'm really excited to make some money. Okay, so he picks us up. It's the crack of dawn. And, and we start to cut his grass. But before he let us start, he's like, I'm going to have to sharpen the blades on your lawnmower. And, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know people did that. He's like, yeah, it's going to help you to be more efficient as you cut the grass. And he said, and before you start, I'm going to top off your fuel tanks with gas because it's a big job. I was like, I know it's a big job. I'm already nervous. And we started cutting the, the grass and pushing that lawnmower. And the day kind of went on. It got hot out. And he shows up with lemonade in an ice cold cup. And I thought, God bless you, sir. You are a good man. I took this cup, I drank it, it was refreshing. Lunchtime rolled around, we're still cutting grass. This was like the day that never ended. He invited us in his house for lunch and he fed us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I love me a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? When you're working hard and hungry, it hits the spot like few things can. So he fed us this sandwich and then, you know, we got to the end of the day, we finally finished cutting this insanely large lawn and he's loading us up, he's gonna drop us off at home because we're 13, we can't even drive ourselves home. And along the way, he stops at a blueberry farm. I didn't even know that such things existed at this point in my life. I didn't know where blueberries came from. I thought it was magic, that it just came from the grocery store. But he's like, hey, we're going to go into this place. I'm going to pay a few dollars, and you're going to get a container, and you can fill up your container with all the blueberries you can pick. And I said, for a fat kid, this is magical. <laughs> You know, I was really excited. Um, then along the way, he, he, we left there and we stopped at Wendy's. I used to eat at Wendy's all the time. You know, I was excited about this. Got a burger, got some fries, dipped the fries in barbecue sauce. That's what I like to do. He was like, do you want a Frosty? And I was like, look at me. Does it look like I want a Frosty? Yes, I want a Frosty. He's like, get a large one. Get a, I'm like, okay, I'll take the large one. So he finally gets us to our house. It's time to pay us. And I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. It's payday. And it's exciting when you're going to get paid, isn't it? You've been waiting for this moment. And he, and he said, okay, so you worked seven, eight hours, about $5 an hour. I'm going to pay you guys $35 each. And I said, that sounds real good, really good. I felt good about that. But he said, wait, 
there's a couple things we have to take into account. He said, I sharpened the blades on your lawnmower. That's about $4 worth of labor. I filled up your gas tank, about $5 worth of fuel. I fed you lunch, that's worth about $5. I brought you to the blueberry farm, paid money for that. Also paid for dinner at Wendy's. The whole time there, I thought Antonio was being a super generous guy. He was itemizing deductions. So by the time he got done running down his list, he's like, oh, I owe you about $8. I'm 98% sure that I've forgiven Antonio, church. Not totally sure. I am still mad about it. But I did learn an important lesson that was much more valuable than the $20, $30 he cheated me out of. It was be careful who you do business with. And you better figure out before you start working for someone the terms of the agreement, right? And Peter, Peter in, in the Bible is a lot smarter than I was. And in Matthew 19, he asked Jesus, it says, Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Now, I read that, and at first I think, man, Peter sounds like you're kind of selfish and self-centered, but 13-year-old Ryan got burned, and he thinks Peter's pretty smart. <laughs> That's a good question. Peter left his family, his family business, the security of what he knew, and he followed Jesus into the unknown where he faced persecution and hardship and suffering. And so he asks an important question, what am I going to get for this sacrifice? And I think it's a question that probably a lot of Christians have asked even today. Like, I've given up a lot for Jesus. I've sacrificed a lot for him. I've served on Sunday. I've given in the offering. I had to say goodbye to some people that, that didn't support my faith. I, I had to walk away from some things. And, and I've sacrificed wondering, is it worth it? What's in it for me? And God knows that we're going to ask questions like that, and he's not even mad about it because he's a loving and patient father. So Jesus, he tells this parable of the vineyard workers, and I think it's very helpful for us. Matthew chapter 20, you can go there in your Bible. If you have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along if you'd like. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Grumble, grumble, grumble. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same thing as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? 
Then he says this, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus describes this scenario of a business owner who owns a vineyard. And it was very common in these days not to employ a lot of workers while your crops were growing because there wasn't a lot of work for them to do, right? But then when harvest time came, you would go out and hire workers to come in and bring in the harvest. There was a limited window of opportunity to bring the harvest in, so you had to get it all in while you could because anything that didn't get brought in while the opportunity presented itself, those crops would go to waste. So that's why he went out and he hired workers, and you see that he went out and he hired more workers, and he hired more workers. It wasn't because he was a bad planner necessarily, but he just knew he had to get as many workers as it took to bring in the harvest. So he comes along and he hires this first set of workers at the crack of dawn, and he agrees to pay them a denarius. That was a very generous day's pay for these workers. He sent them to work, goes back out at 9 and 12 and 3 and says, hey, what are you guys doing? Nothing? Okay, well, come work for me and I'll pay you what seems right. They go out into the fields, they go to work, comes back out at 5 o'clock. Hey, what are you guys doing? Nothing, just standing around. Well, you get out in my fields also and get to work. And it, I think it's the first thing that we need to notice in this parable is that they all went out to work in the field, trusting that the landowner would pay them at the end of the day. They had to trust that he would pay them as promised. Maybe sometimes you feel like, Peter, I've been serving the Lord. I've been working hard. I've been doing my best to take care of my kids and love my family and serve in my church. And you don't always get a lot of thank yous. You sometimes don't feel like you get blessings that are equal to the sacrifice that you make. And you ask yourself, is this even worth it? I want you to know this. Your reward is coming. Your reward is coming. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Your reward is coming. Everyone has to work with a degree of faith, don't they? You go to work and you trust that your employer is going to actually pay you on payday. Because most jobs don't pay in advance, do they? Most jobs, you do the work and you trust your boss to pay you what he said he would pay you. We know that Jesus promised that when we follow him, it's going to bring good things into our life. It's going to bring blessing and favor and eternal life. But if we're being honest, sometimes you don't feel that favor, do you? Sometimes you go through seasons where things aren't quite panning out the way you hoped they would. It can cause you to maybe be tempted to doubt the words of your master who said, you're going to be rewarded. And, and, and I know that we can, sometimes, we can sometimes struggle with doubt because those blessings that God promised you don't always come on a predictable schedule, do they? It'd be nice if they did every Friday at noon, payday from heaven. You just got blessed. You could expect him. That's not the way it works, does it? They come unpredictably, and the majority of the blessings that we receive for following Jesus, we're not going to receive until the end of our life. So we have to trust. We have to have faith. And I would tell you that if you can trust your employer to pay you on payday, how much more can you trust the King of Kings to take care of you as citizens of the kingdom of God? Your reward is coming. Our king does not take advantage of his citizens. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So this is not to determine as a Christian whether or not you'll get into heaven, this judgment. But everyone is going to appear before Jesus and be judged for the good or the bad they do while in this body. Someone didn't know that. They're like, what? Yeah, it's true. Jesus is watching. Santa is not watching. Jesus is watching. 
He's keeping a record of all that you do for him. And if you're a Christian, all your sins have been washed away. But he's keeping track of all the good things that you do. And the reward you receive in eternity will be proportional to how you serve him in this life with what you've been entrusted with. So your reward is coming. Now, I think we should, we should note that for some people, this day might be a little bit of a letdown. And it makes me think about in the parable, some of the workers, it says they were standing around. They were standing around. As Christians, we want to make sure that we're not just standing around, wasting the day. We have very limited time to serve our Lord. Life goes by quickly, and we want to make the most of our opportunity. We need to get to work before it's too late, right? Because the harvest is ripe. There are people out there in this world, in your life, in your community, working at your job who need Jesus Christ. And no man knows the day or hour. Nobody knows how much time they have left. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know when the harvest window of opportunity is going to close. So we have to get into the fields and go to work and rescue the lost while we still have time. And know that all you do will be rewarded. Your reward is coming. We need to live every day with payday in mind. So the end of the day comes and the foreman, he goes to pay these workers. And I think what we would assume is that the workers who've been there the longest would get paid first. That's just the way it tends to work with people. But that's not the way that that's not the way it worked out. If you read the passage, right? And I've learned some things. I've learned if you want to make a bunch of human beings lose their minds, just cut in front of a line sometime. Right? Isn't that funny? Just cut in front of a line. And if you cut in line, you will see people just lose it. I was shopping with my wife um, in Chandler a little while ago, and we went to this one store, and we were ready to check out, and the, the, all the registers were up front. And then there was this break. There was an aisle so that people could get through, and a, a long line was queued up behind the break. And I just kind of walked up not paying attention. Maybe I was texting on my phone or something, and I just say, you know, oh, the register's wide open. <laughs> I'm blessed, right? You know, I'm favored. <laughs> and I just walked right up to the register, and behind me I hear, <coughs> And I turn around and there's all these angry faces looking at me, sharpening knives. I was about to get shanked in Nordstrom Rack. I didn't mean to cut him in line, but, but the thing is, people are pretty sensitive about this. We were here first, we deserve to be served first. And that's not what happened in this parable. The master said to the foreman, hey, I'm going to pay those who came last, and then I'm going to pay those who came first. And I can just imagine if I was there as a worker, I would have been saying, that's not fair, right? We were here all day. We were working in the heat of the day. Why are these newcomers going to benefit from our sacrifice? Why do they get paid first? In Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus said, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. By earthly standards, whoever has been here the longest gets seniority. You get in line first. You get served first. You get the perks. You get the opportunities. It's first come, first serve. If you help start a business, if you get it on the ground floor, you get the perks and the stock options and all of that. But heavenly rewards are not distributed according to earthly principles, are they? Heaven doesn't work that way. Heaven doesn't operate the way that we would think it would. 
which is just one of the ways that I, I know Christianity is true and not one of the many man-made religions in the world out there today. Uh, if Christianity was an organization or a, a religion that people invented, it would look like a religion that people invented. Yeah. And, and so one of the things I would teach our church and emphasize is we don't ever want to be mean or unkind to people who are trapped in false religion. But I'm more than willing to confront the false teaching of these false religions, okay? So I'm loving the people, I'm confronting the teaching. Does that make sense? So, so I think about this, like if Christianity was a man-made religion, it would sound like a man-made religion. Let me give you an example. In Mormonism, in Mormonism, if I'm a good man, when I die, I can become the God of my own planet. Everyone on that planet will be singing songs about me. We lift up your name, Ryan. You're a great God, right? And then you get all the wives you want. And, and then because you have all these wives, you've got to populate the planet you're the God of, right? You, so you have to have sex for eternity with all your wives. Doesn't that sound exactly like a religion that a 17-year-old boy would invent? It does to me. Sounds like a man-made religion. Whereas in Christianity, it's completely the opposite. Like we read the Bible and the best we can tell, there's no sex in heaven. And all the guys are like, what? Why? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I'm told there's, there's better things in store for you. I can't even quite understand it, but it's because it's not made by man. This is, this is from God. It just, it just kind of highlights that idea, right? It's not the way that we would expect it to look if a dude invented it. Or Scientology, for example. Scientology is another false religion. And in Scientology, new people have to pay money. And when you pay money, you get to go to these private secret sessions where they reveal truth to you. And as you pay, you rise up the ranks of Scientology. And it's really interesting. The more you pay, the higher you rise. And those who are lower ranking have to defer to those who are higher ranking and, and serve the higher ranking. And the higher ranking people get more perks. Christianity is the opposite, isn't it? It's, again, it's the opposite. You come to church as an outsider. You might not know anything. You might be brand new. But all the people who've been here who have seniority defer to you and serve you. They say, oh, oh, you go ahead. You go first. You get in line first. You're brand new. Uh, okay, that's all right. Uh, you take my seat. You can have the best parking spots. I'll watch your kids in the nursery while you go to church. It's different, isn't it? We don't hide the truth or make people pay for the truth. We'll give you a Bible for free, and then I spend most of my time begging people to read it. <laughs> right? It's, it's totally different. In Christianity, the mature, experienced Christians who've been here the longest, they give financially and they sacrifice to build a ministry that benefits the new people more than the people who've been here. It's mind-blowing. It's so different. Uh, and the message isn't that you have to work hard enough to earn salvation. The message is not, Ryan, if you're a good man, you can earn your salvation and become a god and people will serve you. The message of Christianity is, Ryan, you're not a good man, and you could never earn your salvation, so God became a man to die for you so that you could serve others. This is completely different. Christianity is so different. The longer you've been a citizen of the kingdom of God, the greater of a servant you're called to become. You say, oh, you go first. 
You take the best seat. The first will be last. The last will be first in the kingdom of God. And I know for some Christians that can be frustrating, can be t- difficult at times. You know, these guys, these guys come later. So why, why, do they, why do they get to benefit from our sacrifice? We've been here working, and they just came along later. But isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He served us, and we benefited from his sacrifice before we even appreciated it. And I actually hear Christians complain sometimes about this dynamic. Like, I've, I've had conversations in church with Christians who are complaining. They're like, Pastor Ryan, why do all the new people get the best parking spots? Why, when I come into service, are there people telling me that I can't sit in the seat that I want to sit in? I pay tithes, Pastor Ryan. I deserve to sit in the seat that I want to sit in. And I would just say, hey, we got to be on guard that we don't complain about showing people the same honor that was shown to us when we first showed up, right? Because a lot of you remember that there was a time when you were far from God and you came to church and, and people were here to love you and serve you and welcome you and give you the best seat until one day you encountered Jesus and he changed your whole life. And so now it's our privilege to serve others and sacrifice for others and defer to others so that they could have a one day life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of God, it's not first come, first serve. It's first come, first to serve. I'm so grateful for all the believers who've gone before my generation, who've sacrificed and given so that one day we would hear the good news and come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. End of the day, the foreman, he goes to pay the workers. He starts with the new guys, and he pays them a full denarius. Back of the line are the guys who've been there all day. They see the new guys are getting a full denarius, and they're getting excited. Like, oh, yeah. If Johnny came lately, just got a a full denarius, I've been here working all day. I know that I'm probably going to get a bonus. Apparently, this landowner's in the mood to give out bonuses. So it's going to be real good for me. And so it comes their turn, and they get paid the original amount that they agreed upon, a full denarius. And they're like, what's this? And the foreman says, it's exactly what we agreed on. It's a denarius. And they're like, yeah, but you gave new guy Gary a denarius. And I've been here all day, working harder and longer in the heat of the day. It's not, it's not fair that you gave him a denarius and now you're giving me a denarius. And the landowner says, why does it matter what I do for the new guy? I gave you what I agreed to give you, what you agreed upon on this. So why can't I be generous to who I want to be generous to, right? And this is something that we all kind of struggle with. So I, I want to warn you about this. Don't let comparison steal your contentment. How many times have you thought you were doing really good until you started comparing your situation to other people's situation? And then you started feeling not so good about your life. I think this happens to all of us. I think some ladies probably struggle with this. Like you thought your husband, you thought your boyfriend was doing real good, taking you on date night to Chili's, got you some baby back ribs, and you were happy. But then you started watching The Bachelor, and you saw how he picked his date up in a helicopter and took her to Paris. 
And now Chili's is not good enough for you anymore. You're dissatisfied. You're discontent because of comparison. And there have been times for all of us, I think, you're happy with your pay. Then you find out someone else is making more than you. And you went from glad to mad. It's something we all struggle with, this, this dynamic of comparison. It was a problem for the workers in this parable. These early workers, they were hired first and promised a full denarius. And you need to understand that this was a generous amount of money for them. Now, I grew up hearing that a denarius was a common day's wages for a laborer because of this verse. And some of my Bible commentaries say that, that a denarius was a common wage for a day laborer. But I'm not sure that that's exactly true because that's not what this passage says. And other research that I've done says that Roman soldiers who got paid very well did not even get paid a full denarius every day. And so it made me think that what this could be saying is to those who were hired early, the master was already being very generous and kind towards them. He was already paying them more than they would have expected, more than they could have gotten from anyone else. And they should have been incredibly grateful. But because they compared their pay to someone else's, they lost their gratitude. They became discontent and they started to grumble and complain. Comparison can steal your contentment, church. There's been times in my life I've been happy with my situation and what I had until I started looking at what someone else had. And then I started feeling real bad for myself, like I was missing out, right? It's easy to look at the blessings of other people and, and say, well, where are my blessings? Where, where are you in this, God? Like, why aren't you blessing me the way that you're blessing him? We can even become offended towards God, like the workers became offended at and towards the landowner. How dare you? I've been here working harder and longer in conditions that were hotter. This isn't, this isn't fair, but it's because of comparison. Comparison's dangerous. The master said in verse 15, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? He was being generous to these early workers who were hired first. And so he's asking them, why are you envious because I'm choosing to be extra kind to other people? It doesn't take anything out of your pocket. Don't be envious because I'm generous. When we lose contentment, it's because we get too focused on the good in other people's lives and we stop thinking about the good in our own lives. It's true. If you start to focus more on the blessings in other people's life, you'll become resentful rather than focusing on the blessings in your own life, which will lead you to be grateful. It's comparison, it's a trap. It's a trap that we can fall into. We have to be on guard against this. Sometimes when we compare our life to someone else and we get jealous of their success, we don't see what happened leading up to that success. It's common, we'll get jealous of someone else's success, but we didn't see the sacrifices that they made. You look at someone else who's thriving and their business is booming and you think, well, man, look how good they're doing. My, my situation's terrible, but you didn't see that they went through a bankruptcy with their first business that failed but you're just comparing your situation to their situation and, and possibly feeling bad for yourself. You might see someone else's platform or their influence and, and be jealous or envious of what they have, but you don't know the price they pay in private. It's easy to become jealous when someone else is enjoying their harvest and your life is just hard. Maybe you're plowing 
and you're planting, you're breaking soil and doing backbreaking labor, and you see other people enjoying a season of plenty, and it can cause you to, to struggle, but I would challenge you, don't compare seasons. Life comes in seasons. It's the way God designs our universe and our life. It works in seasons. You'll have seasons of plowing, which are difficult. You gotta break up that soil. You gotta move dirt and rocks. You got seasons of planting where you're laboring, but you don't see the fruit of your labor. But then there will be a season of harvest. If you're plowing and you're planting now, don't be discouraged. It means you're that much closer to your next season of harvest. Keep pushing, keep working. You think other people are winning while you're just working, but you're going to win too. Your season of harvest, your season of plenty is coming. So don't let comparison steal your contentment in regards to what you have, but also in regards to what you do. There's been times I felt good about my progress until I see how far someone else got, and then I don't feel good about my progress. Maybe you felt really good, you lost five pounds but then you see someone else lost 10 pounds. And now you feel like a total loser. Like I've been there, I think we've all been there. Some moms I know struggle with this, like you feel really good. You got your kids dressed, you put lunch money in their pocket, you got them to the bus on time. You thought, I'm doing really good. And then you saw another mom on Instagram who drove her kids to school, singing songs to them along the way made their lunch homemade with all organic food and made their clothes because she likes to craft. And you start to feel real bad about yourself. Like, I am not a good mother. I'm terrible at this. I just want to die. Now, it's okay to check in with other people and, and challenge yourself and look for ways that you can grow. I think we should all do that. But it's not okay to grade yourself on a curve. Jesus doesn't grade you on a curve comparing your life to other people's lives. Rather, he compares your conduct to your calling. He's concerned about what you do in relation to your calling. He's not asking you to lead your family so that it will become just like the Joneses next door, right? He wants you to raise your kids, not someone else's kids. How will you handle that responsibility? He wants you to take care of your body. He's not comparing it to other people's bodies. He wants you to handle the money he entrusted you with, not have the same net worth as the other average people in your block. He doesn't care how much other people gave. He wants you to give what he tells you to give, right? He's asking you to do what he's called you to do because you can't live someone else's life. Of course he wants you to challenge yourself and push yourself, but you need to be content living out your calling and enjoying your season. Oftentimes we don't even enjoy the season that we're in until it's too late. And then we look back and we realize that was a good season that I was in, but I didn't even enjoy it because I was so focused on the season that was coming next. I wish I would have paid more attention. I wish I would have enjoyed the season I was in. I, I, I don't want to do that anymore going forward, church. I want to enjoy this season. Here's the only comparison we should make. How does my life compare to what I deserve? That's a question we should ask ourselves. How does my life compare to what I deserve? Here's the last point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your reward will not be fair. I'm just gonna tell you right now, your reward will not be fair. And be honest, it bothers us when we're treated unfairly. It bothers me. 
I have a strong sense of justice, and I'm good at looking out for my own best interest. And when people treat me unfairly, I do not like it. I don't think I'm alone in that, right? We just want what we deserve. The vineyard workers, they thought their wages were unfair once they saw the new workers getting the same wages, even though the landowner had actually been generous to them. There will be a time when you're tempted to believe that God is not being fair to you. Maybe this will happen if you lose a job. I hope this doesn't happen. Maybe, maybe you experience a miscarriage or a divorce or you lose a loved one or you get sick or you're dealing with pain. And in that moment, you might think, God is not fair. God is not being fair to me. And I want you to know that is only partially true. God is only fair towards some people. And to other people, he is very unfair. As humans, we all think we want what we deserve until we find out what we deserve and then we don't want it anymore. The Bible tells us that we all must choose between getting what we deserve or accepting what we don't deserve. In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what this tells us is that we've all sinned, and the paycheck we've earned for our consistent, faithful, sinful lives is death. And let's be honest, like we earned that paycheck. We worked hard. We sinned in the morning. We sinned at night. We sinned with overtime. We sinned with passion and gusto, and we even liked it sometimes. We earn the wages of death. God is very fair to all sinners who reject him. They get exactly what they deserve, which is death. Or you can choose door number two. And you can let Jesus take what you deserve and give you what he deserves. It's not fair, is it? But it is grace. That's what God's grace is. All that you give the Lord, everything that you do for him, as you serve other people, as you sacrifice for your family, as you love people who don't love you, you need to know you will be rewarded for everything you do. And your reward will not be fair. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. In other words, when Jesus returns and we win and it's over and we cross the finish line, it says this, everyone, all of his people who have given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. He says, everyone who gives up anything for me will receive it back and so much more. That means that you don't spend time or money on God. You invest into God's kingdom. You don't give up anything for God. You simply store up treasures in heaven for yourself. That's what that means. Many people are familiar with the concept of investing, even though not everybody gets the opportunity to do it. But the concept generally of investing is that you put a certain amount of money in and you're hoping that down the line, you'll get more back than what you put in. That's investing. 
So let's just play out a little scenario, which will probably make you feel frustrated, <laughs> like it does for me. Okay, if you could go back in time just 10 years, not even all the way to the beginning, but just 10 years back and put $1,000 into Amazon stock, Today, 10 years later, it will be worth $34,000. So 1,000 then will be worth 34 now, just 10 years later. That makes you frustrated, right? Like if only I had known, if only I, well, let's play out the scenario a little bit further. Like what if you could go back to the future? It was a great movie, right? And, and go back in time 10 years, knowing what you know now, how much would you invest into Amazon stock? The answer is, all of it. Take all my money. I want to put it all in because it's a sure thing. I know every dollar I put in 10 years from now will be 34 times more than what I invested. Right? Because you know what's going to happen, you would have all the confidence in the world making that investment. Well, here's what Jesus said. Everything you do for me, you're going to get more back in return. Not 34 times as much, but a hundred times as much. And he didn't even mean literally a hundred times because it's actually much, much more than that. It's actually much greater than that. Every sacrifice, every time you serve someone, every offering, you're gonna get more back than you put in. Right? Fair would be if you got out what you put in. Grace says that you're going to get out what Jesus put in. So if you know that everything you give to the Lord, every time you serve others, the reward is going to be beyond fair. How can we struggle and doubt when God calls us to give and to serve? We shouldn't hesitate. We shouldn't say, like, I don't have time to serve. You don't have time not to. Because the time is short, right? And we don't know how much time we have. We read about the workers hired at 5 o'clock. It said in verse 6, 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some people standing around. 5 o'clock, they were standing around. I think standing around is a really good phrase to describe all of our lives before we met Jesus. We were just spiritually standing around. You might have been living life and going through the motions physically, but spiritually, you were standing around before you met Jesus. Your life was accomplishing nothing. You might have been working hard, but you can't accomplish anything with eternal value until you serve Jesus Christ. The only thing that matters is things that last for eternity. So when we serve Jesus, when we invest in his kingdom that never ends, when we reach lost people who have souls that never die, we are investing in something that lasts for eternity. We're doing something that matters. We're living out our purpose. It doesn't happen until we follow Jesus. Before that, we were just standing around. And then I think about how we should be challenged by this passage as Christians, that we wouldn't give our lives to Christ and receive the greatest gift that's ever been given and then just spiritually stand around and waste the day and say, well, it's not really a good time for me to go out into the field and to work. The Lord says time is short. I think it's 2019 on the calendar, but in heaven, it could be five o'clock. I think we've been hired pretty late in the game 
And there have been a lot of Christians who've lived before us who had to work a lot harder and a lot longer in much worse conditions. And thank God that our Father in heaven is so patient that he waited so that we would have the opportunity to receive Jesus and come into his kingdom and serve him. We just got hired at five o'clock. And we get to enjoy the same reward as people who've been here and doing it for a long time. God's been so good to us. And I, I would say this, if we got hired at five o'clock, that means that we don't have any time to waste. We might have come lately, but that means that we've got to work mightily. We've got to give everything that we have. We've got to go all in. We've got to sacrifice so that those who need Jesus can receive Jesus. I want to do something with my life that matters while I still have the chance, don't you? Because the window of opportunity is short, and eventually that window will close, and then we will receive our reward. You will be rewarded. Your reward is coming. If you're working hard, if you're loving your kids, if you're serving, if you're sacrificing for Jesus, and, and maybe you're wondering, is this really gonna be worth it? Be encouraged, your reward is coming. Our master does not take advantage of his workers. He brings every advantage to his workers. His reward will be good, it's coming. You think nobody sees you, but he sees. And remember this, heavenly rewards are not distributed according to earthly principles. So the last will be first. That means you might be doing what looks like a lowly job here on earth, but the Bible implies that those who do the lowly jobs receive the greatest rewards in heaven. It's not the people we think it would be. It's not the powerful and the rich and the influential. It's those who are faithful with what they've been given who receive the greatest rewards in heaven. It's ironic that we think we receive the most by looking out for our own best interest, but in the kingdom of God, your reward is the greatest when you look out for other people's best interest. Heavenly rewards aren't distributed according to earthly principles. And we're taught this, don't let comparison steal your contentment. Don't walk around looking at other people's lives and letting that cause you to feel good about yourself. Like, well, I'm doing better than her. And don't let it make you feel bad about yourself. Like, I stink, I'm not good at this, I feel like a loser. You're called to live out the life that God has called you to. That's what he is evaluating. How do you conduct yourself compared to your calling? Live your life, and, and remember this, your reward will not be fair. Isn't that good to know? Your reward, it's not gonna be fair, it's gonna be so much greater than you deserve. Ephesians 2.8 says, you are saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. We deserve death. That would be fair. But because of God's great love, he shows us mercy and favor. He adopts us into his family. He makes us citizens of the kingdom of heaven that never ends. He gives us eternal life. That's not fair, is it? But that is grace. I'm grateful that we're saved by God's grace. It's good to be a child of God, amen? Will you bow your heads with me? I wanna just take this moment to offer the opportunity for anyone who might need to start following Jesus tonight. Maybe you know that spiritually you've been standing around and not accomplishing anything that has eternal value with your life, and if you're not following Jesus, then that's true. The Bible tells us that our sins separate us from God, and we've all sinned. And we can't do anything to bridge that gap. We can't make our way back to God by being good people or following a certain set of religious codes. We cannot save ourselves. 
And that's why Jesus came to earth and lived a perfectly righteous life that we always wanted to live, but we cannot live. Jesus lived that life, and then he died on the cross and took the punishment for the sins that we would commit. He did this so that we could be forgiven and God could punish the sins that we would commit and then show us mercy. And then Jesus rose again on the third day. He came out of the grave and that was the sign of what's to come for those who believe in him, that we'll have eternal life, that we'll never die, that we'll live with him for eternity. And the Bible says you can be saved by simply calling on the name of the Lord. You don't have to do anything necessarily or go to a class. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's by faith that we're saved. And so if you're ready to take that step of faith tonight, maybe you're here and you know, I need to take this step of faith. Maybe you've never taken this step of faith or maybe you once had a relationship with God, but you've been so far from him for so long that you know you need to come back to him tonight. This is a great opportunity for that. I believe you're here for a reason. And I wanna lead you in a prayer. It's not magic, but it's just to help you express what's in your heart right now. Just pray this with me. Say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I know I can't save myself. I need a savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that he rose again so that I could have eternal life. I wanna follow you from this day forward. I wanna serve you with all that I am. And I thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it or appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen.